edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dominic, and I wanted to ask how you were doing today, because you're often uh, neglected in that uh, discussion. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for asking me. I am doing pretty well. I I'm glad to had hear. a good night's sleep, and I'm looking forward to a fantastic conversation today with Guest X. Who is Guest X? Guest X is Josh Goldfarb, and he is the director of product management at a company called F5, which does uh, application and network level cybersecurity. So very technical and very critical for organizations to protect themselves on a technical level from cyber attacks. Awesome. Well, let's take a pause here. Let's bring Josh in and uh, to our viewers and listeners, stay tuned and Josh will be on shortly. Josh Goldfarb from Jerusalem, Israel. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure. Indeed, it's our pleasure. So uh, let's get into kind of your backstory. Um, obviously, okay, you're, in, you're based in um, Jerusalem. Where did you come from uh, before that in terms of, you know, geographically and your, your cyber security career journey? Sure. Yeah, great question. So uh, I grew up in New Jersey, um, in the U.S., and um, you know, just a regular regular upbringing in New Jersey. And then I uh, I went to Cornell and did my bachelor's and master's at Cornell University. Um, I worked for the university for a few years, and then um, shortly after that, I worked as a developer, um, which actually the having a Having a background as a developer and, and a coder uh, has helped me immensely in the security field from in terms of understanding how software works and understanding logic and whatnot. Um, but after working as a programmer for a few years, I re relocated to the Washington, D.C. area, um, got involved initially in government and cybersecurity, and then later in the private sector, mostly financial sector in, in cybersecurity. And in 2012, I came to Israel uh, and continued my career here. Uh, Josh, I always um, uh, enjoy reading your 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 your, your writings online. Um, oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've tweeted uh, tweeted you and and stuff because uh, I always find your your writing age very uh, insightful and it's very very different than a lot of secure writing that, that that's out there. And uh, one of the things which I would I'd love to uh, maybe at least start off um, a better understanding is you know when we're talking about security you know so many people still get stuck on it being um, maybe being stuck in the technical weeds um, how important is it for organizations and businesses to understand that it's more than just a technical problem you know and it's more of a, a business issue mm -hmm. and what are some of the maybe people components that organizations can start focusing on when it comes to cybersecurity mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a great question so it certainly is more than a, a security or a technical problem um, I think I think it's it's more it's better understood now, um, but for many many years, I think that um, businesses sort of viewed security as as a cost a cost center a sunk cost maybe a nuisance to some extent, um, and I think what they realize now is that security is actually uh, quite important to their customers to their partners uh, to their investors or shareholders um, to to their executive and leadership executive board and their leadership. 
um, leadership of the company. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something that has happened in the last, I think, maybe five to ten years. Um, and I think that what, what's interesting is is that we as a, we as a security field, we we still kind of operate as that um, almost that that underground or basement type of of group. We um, we we aren't necessarily able to communicate or verbalize uh, what we need, why we need it. Uh, we aren't we we don't always know how to measure success, how to how to communicate. Uh, progress and 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 um, steps that we're taking in terms of defending our organizations to to the people that are not security people, but they're business people or customers or shareholders or what have you. Um, and I think that that's something that that as we as a field continue to progress and mature, it's something that we'll need to improve at. Um, I, I think that uh, what we're starting to see now is that security metrics, for example, are becoming more formalized. Um, building security in from the beginning is something that's becoming more widely accepted. Um, security being present at the board level, or at least at the um, at the executive level, is something that is becoming extremely common. So you'll you know where we might information security officer who reported to the chief information officer. Now often you'll have a chief security officer, or in some cases even a chief risk officer, um, and that person is is generally. Uh, direct report to the CEO, and that really um, brings the concept of security and risk, or the topics of security and risk, up to a level where it can be something that's discussed as, as an element of the business, not just something that's a sunk cost, me um, a nuisance, like I think it was 15 years ago. You mentioned an interesting uh, concept there, um, and Josh, about you know security metrics. Uh, in, in your mind, what are maybe one or two key metrics to be able to prov- uh, provide visibility? On security to the board, uh, you know, obviously things such as oh, we blocked X number of connections at the firewall. You know, that that that's that, <laughs> that doesn't mean much to a to a board member. What are useful reporting metrics on security that, that can be brought forward to to a non technical board? That's a great question. So I think um, we as a community we've not done a good job um, in terms of understanding the type of metrics that are that are that are relevant and important to our stakeholders, particularly those at an, at a, at an executive or a management level. Um, and I think the reason is, is because we, we haven't really understood what drives those executives and stakeholders in terms of what they're, what they're worried about day to day. And typically what they're most worried about is financial loss to the business. They want to make sure that the business is as profitable as possible, that the business, um, has has high income and high operating income, but not not a lot of expenses that are unnecessary, particularly those that are um, spent on on risks that could have been mitigated. Um, and so, what we need to do is to focus on how we can um, how we can show the the board and executives that we are we are mitigating risk, which in turn is helping them uh, avert financial loss or avoid financial loss. Um, and so, for example, if we if we say to them, um, you know, we implemented an endpoint protection solution recently, that doesn't help them understand how that saves them money or averts a financial loss or, or mitigates risk. If, on the other hand, we say that we've been able to estimate the risk due to a data breach um, at a cost of $2 million, and there's a certain likelihood that that will happen, and we've been able to mitigate that risk with 95% certainty, for a cost of say four hundred thousand dollars, we can first of all not only show them that we're 
mitigating a risk that's relevant to them and that we've spent time to actually implement a solution that does mitigate risk and does translate into, into, into less chance or less risk of a financial loss. But we also could show them that we've had a return on investment, which is another calculation that's very important from a metrics perspective. Security gets a certain amount of budget. It's, it's often looked at as a sunk cost or, or, or a cost center. If we can start to show that we, we, we can provide return, significant return on investment for the investment in, in us as security professionals, that's another metric that can really help us show our value um, to, our, to our stakeholders, including the executives. So I think this idea of relative metrics, showing metrics that, that maybe we collect on, a, on an operational or a tactical level, rolling those up into high-level strategic metrics that translate um, to dollars, essentially, to risk that's been mitigated and financial loss that, or the potential for financial loss that's been averted or avoided. Uh, I think those are the types of metrics that can really speak to uh, executives. I love that, love Josh. That is, uh, that is such valuable insight there. And I want to think, you know, kind of back up the tape a little bit and think about organizations that maybe don't have a, a priority uh, towards cybersecurity and don't have a lot in the way of cybersecurity protections, um, most of these being on the uh, small to mid-size uh, end of the scale. Um, is there a message that you would give to them uh, in terms of, you know, how would you start a conversation um, mm -hmm. if you can't even get, let's say, to the board level uh, yet and to ask those questions? Um, what would be maybe a precursor to, to those types of organizations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that um, for, for smaller and, and middle-sized enterprises, I think, um, you know, those that maybe have, have a smaller IT budget, maybe, maybe have a security budget, maybe don't, um, obviously not at all in the same league as the larger enterprises. I, I think that the question really is, is, would be to ask the leaders of these businesses, or at least the IT leaders of these businesses, um, what keeps you awake at night? What what would what would hurt the the company gravely um, if it were to happen? For example, if your business um, is let's say you're you're a venture capital firm and your business is investing in in startups, okay. If it were to get out, who you're considering your criteria, who you invested in, and who you passed on, um, who your investors are, where your money comes from, and where it goes, and et cetera, et cetera and so on. For, for, for that type of a company, it would be, that would be a catastrophic occurrence. That would be co potentially company ending, right? Very, very significant damage to the company. Whereas if you're a smaller, medium-sized business and, you're, and your business is to sell generators, right? You know, people aren't generally interested in where your money comes from. They're more interested perhaps in your, in your intellectual property around your logistics, how you move generators from one place to the next, and how you, how you, how you, what you what you buy it at from your supplier, and what you sell it at um, to your customer, and, and those types of data points. And so, I think what I would what I would start the way I would start the conversation is very much from a business perspective, which is, okay, let's talk about what is your core business, and what is the most sensitive information, or what are the most critical data points that, if they were compromised, would jeopardize your business, or or at the very least cause grave damage to your business. Starting from there, you can begin to create essentially a risk register at a very high level, even for a small and medium-sized business. Um, and then it's just a question of 
what the budget is or what, what the budget could be to mitigate some of those risks and then what the best way is to mitigate those risks. Many, most likely through outsourcing or working through working with a partner like a managed security service provider or something, something similar. Um, unless of course there's enough staff in house to really manage the mitigation of these risks. But that's, I think I would, I would start there really at a, at a business level and, and go from there. I love it. And then just a follow-up question. So on the other side of that equation, when you're thinking in terms of those size organizations and the mindset that the leaders of those organizations have, um, I know you've spoken about fraud myths and cybersecurity myths before. Um, can mm -hmm. you highlight a couple of uh, key myths in their current mindset right. that you, you, you run into uh, out there in your, yeah. uh, your daily life? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So so definitely on the security side, um, stuff that's bothered me for a long time is the is sometimes the very draconian approach to security. Um, you know, the, this idea that that a you know a fifteen character password with two letters and two numbers and two special characters and two caps and et cetera and so on. The idea that this somehow increases security when most people. Um, most people who aren't security professionals that I know either keep it in a Word document on their desktop or tape it to their keyboard, something similar, right? Really, the solution there is is multi-factor authentication, you know, biometrics. Those are the those are the real solutions. So, so the idea that by having very very um, tight controls around certain things, it helps them improve security. Controls are important. I'm not. I I, I don't want to awake any ire in people when, when I'm saying controls and controls are important. But if you think that controls equals security, I, I feel you're mistaken. So draconian controls in some cases are good. You know, there need to be controls around certain financial processes and certain uh, types of security processes and whatnot. But controls doesn't equal security. Still need to to think about what the risk is and how we can mitigate it beyond just the draconian procedures. So that's one myth, I think. Um, insecurity that's bothered me for quite a while. Um, in, in the fraud space, um, there seems to be a belief that making it harder for users to get access to their <clears throat> financial information or their uh, online shopping accounts or what have you, there seems to be this belief that making it harder to gain access to that results in less fraud. When in fact, that's not at all what the data say. What the data say is that when a company has fraud, that fraud needs to be detected and mitigated, detected and prevented. Um, but that if I know a, a user or a customer is legitimate and I can safely recognize them, there's really no reason to, to introduce obsessive amounts or, or inordinate amounts of, of friction in the login process. That doesn't actually help increase security or reduce fraud. All it does is drive away revenue. <laughs> so that's, I think... Uh, another one that I would that I would highlight. Yeah. So for that one, it's the balancing the functionality and the operations of the organization with uh, security. And maybe what you're saying is it doesn't have to be uh, a balance. You can have both of those uh, optimized. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah, uh, Josh, one, one more final question on, on uh, for me. I know one, one of the con- uh, concepts which uh, uh, you've talked about before and you've written about is the whole notion of uh, alert fatigue. You know, in which in many mm-hmm. organizations where they choose to just alert on everything and say, like, "Well, we just alert on everything," but then when, and as you've said in the past, you know, if you alert on everything, you know, there's a darn good chance that you won't, you're not going to find the thing that you need to be alerted on or be alerted on the thing that you should be alerted on. Um, What's the best tactic for organizations to take when it comes to security alerting? Obviously, more isn't always the best approach. So in your your mind, what's the best way of of tackling sort of that onslaught (laughs) of security alarms and security alerts? Right. So... So I mean, uh, the way the way I think about this is, you know, if, if I were to if I were to offer you uh, a suitcase full of cash and say it was a million dollars, you might say, "Wow, that's that's very kind of you, right?" Here, you know, that's that's a good amount of money. I'm happy to have that. Um, and if it were easy for you to open the suitcase and pull out the money, you would just take it and thank me and be on your way. But if I threw it in um, about uh, you know 50 square meters of counterfeit bills, you might get a little annoyed at me and say, how am I supposed to find the real money in all this? And that's essentially where most enterprises are in terms of their, in terms of their security alerting. Um, you know, many of them, they, they have a, a, a mix of, of alerts that they inherited when they came in from previous employees or previous uh, leadership. They have some vendor instituted alerts where the vendor said, turn on these alerts or these signatures, these are the right things for you. Um, they have some that have been recommended by certain third-party organizations or non-governmental organizations that uh, recommend that they look for certain types of things. And when you put it all together at the end of the day, that, that's all a very uh, tactical and operational way of doing alerting. You're basically taking um, pieces, tactical pieces of information, and you're putting in alerting. And what that does is it generates a lot of tactical alerting, but also a lot of noise. What it doesn't do is help you understand um, where you are in terms of mitigating your risk, where you are in terms of um, events that could be critical, that could cause critical damage to the business or that could cause significant risk or financial loss. Um, it doesn't help you with any of that. And so I actually prefer a top-down approach. And, um, you know, sometimes people think it's a bit radical, but but probably you could get rid of 90 to 95% of the alerting in most enterprises and nobody would even notice. Um, they aren't looking at it anyway. It's going into... Um, it's going into the SIM or the alert queue. It's being either opened and closed to false positives or it's just rolling off every day because they don't have the bandwidth to get to it. But the better way to do it is to start at the risk register, okay, take the risks and then map those into um, different types of, of behaviors or different types of activity that could be looked for on the network, on the endpoint, um, maybe in human behavior if, if you have visibility into, into, into badging systems or different types of um, you know, human systems, cloud obviously is huge these days. Um, but, but basically if you can map a risk, for example, uh, let's say you have a risk that there's going to be an exfiltration of a given database. That's very sensitive. There's a database of, let's say all of your investors, if we go back to the venture capital company, um, and that database is located in a certain location and has a certain amount of very sensitive information in it. Well, that's a significant risk. If you then boil that down to, okay, that database runs this version of software, that database, uh, is it, people can access it if they have this level of permission, they can get to it from these networks or these hosts, 
et cetera, and so on, you, be, you begin to understand where you need to start looking for unusual or abnormal behavior. And you can begin writing very, what I call incisive alerting, very, very customized, tailored alerting, specifically for look, to look for that type of behavior that would indicate that you have a significant risk to a very critical resource within the organization. And I think if you approach the problem that way, you end up with a lot less alerts on a daily basis, but you end up with alerts that are by and large true positive. So I've done this at a number of different enterprises. Um, and, and typically when I've started these types of projects, you know, you're looking at hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of alerts on a daily basis when you first start. Um, and they're almost all false positives. And by the end of it, say I'm in there for a while, by the end of the engagement, I've got it down to say 200 alerts on a daily basis. And you might say 200, that doesn't sound like enough, but it's actually great because about 50% of them are true positives and 50% are false positives because we all know that nothing's perfect. But looking through 100 false positives a day is doable for a team of say five or six analysts or even eight analysts. Um, and then the 100 true positives are, are workstations that were compromised or people who access things they shouldn't access or people who went into physical spaces they shouldn't have gone into. These are all things that need to be re remediated. They're actionable. And that's exactly what the security team's there for. Um, and so that's that's the way I, I, I approach handling alert fatigue. It's been effective for me during my career when I've been in operational security positions. Um, I found it much more effective than the kind of um, you know, tactical menu of, of alerting that many organizations somehow fall into. Josh, that, that is absolute fantastic wisdom. You know, that, that's uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, um, Christian, did you have uh, any, any final questions? I have no more questions because I know we're running out of time here, but very, very thought provoking. You're hit, hitting on things in my brain and getting my wheels turning here, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's been an absolutely amazing conversation, uh, Josh. You know, th thank you again so much for carving time of your busy schedule to spend time with Christian and I today and, and uh, with our listeners and viewers. So uh, uh, we recognize it's, it's late in your day there in, in Jerusalem. So uh, yeah. uh, thank you again for, for, for taking the time to, to, to join us. And uh, uh, Christian and I will take a brief pause here and we'll come back to wrap up today's episode. Christian, that was a fantastic conversation with Josh. I mean, he is a wealth of knowledge. Um, cur curious to your key takeaways. Well, uh, there were so many. Like I said, he got my wheels uh, turning in my mind for sure. The biggest thing for me is thinking about those organizations that haven't done a whole lot with cybersecurity and why on earth should it matter to them? and kind of bringing the discussion home for them around, you know, what are, what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that could hurt you that could cause some, as you said, grave damage to the, to the organization or even to, um, you know, shut the organization down in terms of uh, cyber threats? And really the answer that he gave was uh, very beautifully illustrated around the crown jewels of an organization. What's that key information that um, would really hurt or really destroy an organization if it got into the wrong hands. 
Well, I, I, absolutely, you know, and, and I really, I really, really liked his answer when we were talking about security metrics and relevant metrics to the board. There's still so many people in a security role that will just report these operational or tactical metrics, and they won't roll them up and make them meaningful from a strategic perspective. You know, and what uh, Josh was saying there, you got to make it relevant to things that the board cares about. You know, how do you map that back to financial loss? How do you map that back to avoidance of potential loss? You know, these are all ways in which you make security matter at the board level. So um, really, really, really great insight from from Josh there. And I, I know we're, we're both very grateful for, for him taking time from uh, his, his uh, I'm assuming that was his late evening there in, in Jerusalem to, to, be ch- to be chatting with us. So um, we're very grateful to, to Josh for that. And as always, we're always grateful to our very loyal listeners and viewers for joining us each and every week. Uh, please do make sure to check out uh, previous uh, episodes uh, at the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page and as well as check out other uh, podcasts that are under the Conversations That Matter uh, banner. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we will catch you next time on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Thank you.